You're listening to Comedy Central. Bill Gates, welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Good to see you. You last joined us on the show, I would say it was about seven months ago. And seven months ago, just like Dr. Fauci, you said you were worried because you felt like the worst was yet to come. A lot of people accused you of peddling fear and terror. And now it appears that unfortunately you were correct. Here's my question to you. Why does it seem like we've become worse at handling the pandemic, you know, in Europe or in the US than we were seven months ago when seven months ago it was so bad? Well, there's a couple things working against us. First is that uh, with the winter, uh, when we're colder, uh, we the virus multiplies more and we're indoors more. So that is not a good thing. And then there's a certain fatigue. Some of the things people have had to do in terms of staying away from friends, uh, that's tougher. I have to say this round, it looks like Europe is getting better compliance with the restrictions than the U.S. is. And so they're starting to see a downturn. When you talk about that compliance and when you talk about the downturn, is part of the downturn, like, should we, should we be looking at the virus cases or should we be looking at the deaths? Because I never know which one is more important. You know, the news will be like a million more people, two million, five million, seven million. And then you'll see some doctors saying, yes, but fewer people are dying from it because we know how to treat it. How should we be looking at this virus and the fight that we have against it? Well, the cases are the leading indicator. It is true that uh, cases are translating into less deaths uh, for two reasons. One is that the cases are more in the young people uh, who are less likely to be very sick. And the other is that the quality of treatment, including some new drugs like dexamethasone, have been proven out. So when you do get hospitalized, you have a higher uh, chance of survival. But, uh, you know, we're predicted to go back up to over 2,000 deaths a day in the months ahead. So for the next six to eight months, the news is mostly bad. Uh, after that, the the volume of the vaccine will have kicked in and uh, then we'll have, uh, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Wow. I mean, the, the question is then I think for a lot of people is like, how long is that tunnel? How bad does that tunnel get? And how do we stop it from being the worst possible tunnel? Um, one of the big things a lot of people are worried about is going to be the transition between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, you know, uh, You've worked with governments all over the world, working on their vaccine distribution, working on healthcare around the planet. You know how important it is for one administration to talk to the next when it comes to um, handing off on their plans. How much do you think this will actually affect America's response if, if there isn't a transition? Well, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, the current administration got tied into a positive narrative that, you know, we're turning the corner uh, and that you now have this transition. It'll make the, the messages a little less clear. You know, this is when you'd love to see the best CDC people on TV reminding us about social distancing and masks, uh, you know, and particularly when uh, there is that fatigue out there. So leaders at all level, this is a chance to step up, even on politicians, you know, encouraging friends, uh, that, hey, we, you know, we don't want this additional several hundred thousand deaths. You know, it'd be right. tragic to be the last person uh, who dies, you know, when the vaccine is absolutely on the way. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think the good news should drive compliance, not lax, laxity. As somebody who's done work globally, 
around healthcare for so long, especially around infectious diseases, what have you found is the key to encouraging or convincing community members to buy into the measures that keep them safe? Well, we had uh, vaccine resistance with polio, and they're getting the religious leaders uh, to speak out, to have them uh, visibly vaccinating their own children. You know, for a while, it looked like we'd never stop polio uh, in Africa, and yet now it's just been certified that we've gone three years without wild polio. So uh, activating the trust hierarchy and getting rid of the conspiracy political element to it and just reminding people, you know, in this case, it's about saving lives. In that case, it's about kids not being paralyzed. Uh, when you get people back to that very human impact, if we don't behave well, uh, I, I think, you know, then it, it'll often come through. It's interesting that you bring up conspiracies because the conspiracy theories about you online have, are insane on social media and social media has propagated them in a way where it's like, Bill Gates is trying to create vaccines so that he can control your minds and he wants to vaccinate everybody so that he can implant. I think you're gonna change people's DNA is what they said. You're gonna change our DNA so that, I don't know, we turn into something and then we work for you somewhere. I don't know the full story, I'm still learning it. When you see these things, First of all, have you been able to track down where it comes from? And secondly, have you even, I, I know you think about these things. You're one of the, like, the biggest thinkers I know. Have you even thought about like, the motivation behind it? Because I'm always trying to figure out who benefits from a conspiracy theory. And I'd love to know if you've put any thought to this at all because of how many people won't get a vaccine because they truly believe conspiracy theories. Yeah, usually when you work on infectious disease, uh, like Dr. Fauci and I do, you're, you know, you're kind of obscure, you know, nobody, talks that much about TB or, or malaria. So here we have this, you know, complete turnaround where vaccines and, you know, are they good for people are now front and center. And there's always been a small group of anti-vaccination people. And we see this with, you know, measles vaccine. They've now got a platform and they've sort of joined forces with some political conspiracy views. And it's so easy to click on particularly when a simple explanation for this pandemic that, oh, there is somebody evil behind it, you know, is somehow uh, easier than, you know, the true biology, which is actually kind of complicated. So, you know, we have to make the truth more interesting. And, you know, we've got to label things with the truth. And sadly, the naivete about how to make social media work well is pretty strong and that's coincided with the election and the epidemic. Uh, I wish I had the answer, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's out there in big, big numbers and hasn't, it just keeps growing. So when we look at the vaccine now, I mean, that's now the story. You know, now the world is waiting for the vaccine because the vaccine becomes the key that unlocks the door. As you say, the light at the end of the tunnel. The question then is, how do people get the vaccine how effective will the distribution method be and how difficult is that? Well, the vaccine's gonna be in short supply. The good news is that uh, there's four other vaccines that are likely to get approved fairly quickly as well. The fact that Pfizer works so well uh, makes us optimistic that AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, which those are much cheaper, easier to scale uh, and don't require that cold chain. So we'll have a lot of vaccines and we need to prioritize people at risk, elder people, people who work in nursing homes, uh, and each country 
will have to decide, okay, who goes first. That's still a little bit confused in the U.S., but hopefully we'll get that straightened out very, very soon because the vaccine is likely to be shipped uh, a lot uh, in the month of December. As you said, the anti-vaccine community has only grown over time. I think the U.S. is now the biggest hub of anti-vaxxers in the world. It started as a fringe thing with measles. Now, with corona, it is fully-fledged. And because of politics, it's been amplified. So now you'll have some people who are on the liberal side saying, I don't trust that vaccine, it was made under Trump. And then you'll have other people saying like, I don't trust that vaccine, that came from Joe Biden and the, and the Democrats, they're trying to brainwash us. <laughs> it's, a lot of people may not want to take the vaccine, which may now go against everything we've worked towards. So how do you begin convincing people that the vaccine is safe, um, like in the midst of this political crisis? Well, it's clear that the FDA went through the professional staff there, uh, all the things they're supposed to, likewise Pfizer. There's even an external committee that'll weigh in just to make absolutely sure that the the political desire to get this quickly did not infect the uh, efficacy and safety review. And I feel very confident uh, because the people involved are, are really doing their job well. Uh, we don't need everyone to take the vaccine. Society will have to decide if there's some jobs like going to a nursing home, you know, and taking care of somebody's grandparents, that whether that person, uh, you know, how strongly you encourage them uh, to have a vaccine so they're not spreading the right. disease. Okay. But with this level of efficacy, if we can get to 75% dosed, then... Uh, you'll block the spread of the disease. With measles, you'd have to get to like 95% because it's even more infectious. But the good news here is that we just need that majority. And I think as people see people taking the vaccine and they see that uh, the side effects of any are very, very rare, uh, that confidence will build and that will be good for society because when you take the vaccine, you're helping to protect other people. Let's talk about climate change because that's another one of Bill Gates' passions, another thing Bill Gates has been doing for a long time. You have very strange hobbies. I play video games. <laughs> you do malaria and climate change. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that. How much have we, have, we, have we gone backwards in this period in terms of fighting climate change? And what do you think are some of the concrete steps that we can take that move us closer to a place where we're not just destroying our home or our place on the planet, but also acknowledging that there are people who have jobs that are tied to the current way we make energy. Well, the good news is that the awareness of this is a problem in the U.S. is going up. Uh, our president-elect you know, cares a great deal about this issue. He may not get the full amount of money uh, that he talked about being ideal, but if we prioritize that money on innovation, new ways of making you know, cement and steel, uh, then I view it as a very solvable problem. So it's a lot like the pandemic, where innovation is what will get us out of this. We have to incent the private sector, uh, particularly very inventive people, uh, to give us these solutions. And we, the government owes it to us to get the best scientists, the best experts, and invest early on so that we're not getting into the problem because once climate change comes, you can't get out of it. There's not like a vaccine for that. Uh, so I'm really pleased that it hasn't uh, 
left the agenda of all uh, young voters uh, of both parties. And so, you know, I, I'm hoping during the next four years to make sure the prioritization of the high impact spending is there. You're right, we have to try and create new industries in any place where uh, the switch away from hydrocarbons is going to hurt the economy. Do you think maybe part of the, the problem with getting everybody on board with climate change is they hear doom and gloom, they hear the planet will be dead in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50, you know, whatever it is, and the planet's still around and they go like, oh, clearly this is not real. Well, when I look back and say, why didn't my warnings about the pandemic lead to more activity? Uh, you know, I, I have to say, I, you know, should I have made the grimness uh, even more vivid uh, or, you know, told more people that bad news. So if you want people to prepare in advance, you really do have to, at least in some way, show that the potential negative outcomes. Right. And uh, now we can couple that with, hey, with innovation, you can create the high paying jobs. And, you know, the U.S. is rich enough that we can make the transition even for the areas that are negatively affected, not uh, super severe if we're enlightened about that. Having the common base of facts, like is climate change a problem? Is it hard to solve? Uh, you know, was there really a chance of a pandemic coming? There, uh, you, you wanna build a consensus. And once you get things underway, I agree, emphasizing like the heroes in the front line on the pandemic, the great scientists who right. you know, created this uh, uh, way of making vaccines. It's gonna help us with lots of other diseases, even cancer. Uh, those positive stories uh, will uh, help push us through and maintain what, in the case of climate change, will be a many decades of hard work to change the industrial economy so that there are no emissions and help countries poorer than us that you know can't afford a premium price. I know I'm going to run out of time with you soon, so I wanted to chat to you about another venture that Bill Gates is uh, jumping into. And this one is interesting, because welcome to the bandwagon, Bill. <laughs> you have launched a podcast. I was like, wow, you know the pandemic is real when even Bill Gates has a podcast now. <laughs> it's official. Um, you have a really interesting podcast that you are co-hosting with Rashida Jones. I love this. You've got Bill and Rashida, and you're asking big questions. And what's interesting about this is you two seem so different and it, you have many similarities. You, you know, you, you both went to Harvard, I believe, right? Um, the only difference is she actually graduated. Very so impressive. the question I have is, do you sometimes feel a little inadequate hosting with Rashida when, when, when you're a college dropout? I'm, I feel more inadequate because she is so articulate uh, and she's an artist and I'm, you know, I like to give out lots of numbers, which are just boring as heck. So, uh, I think the word you were looking for there was nerd. I think that's what you were looking yeah, for. Yeah, I'm there. the nerd. Uh, although she, uh, she likes to read too, but it, it's a good balance. It was a lot of fun doing it with her. Uh, she's not as optimistic about the future as I am, and I'm trying to bring her around, uh, you know, whether it's the pandemic or climate change, talking to her about uh, there is a path. There's a path. 
It's fun. Um, I know Dr. Fauci is your first guest and it's a really, really fun podcast. It's fun to hear the both of you and the dynamic that you have. And I hope a lot of people will tune in because it's just a different way to listen to these conversations. Um, as for you joining me on the show, thank you again for taking the time. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Good luck with everything, including the conspiracy theories. And uh, hopefully I'll see you on the other side of the tunnel. Yeah, in person someday. someday. In person, my friend. See you then. All right. Bye-bye. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 